Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Beer and Money. My name is Ryan Burklow. And I'm Alex Collins. And on today's episode, we're going to be talking about uh, the other forms of permanent life insurance. We've been talking about a lot of, of whole life the last two episodes. We want to make sure that like whole life insurance isn't the end-all be-all when it comes to permanent life insurance. We wanted to go over at a high level uh, the other types of products that are out there and give you some pros and cons around those. Yeah. I mean, a whole life is the oldest version of permanent life insurance, and it is currently the most dominant like or, or in terms of premium placed. It's the, the highest currently in terms of like... Uh, like what structure people are using, but it, you're right. It's not the be all end all. And there are other forms of insurance, permanent insurance. And we want to make sure that we're addressing that. So before we dive into today's episode, Mr. Collins, what are you drinking right now? Um, I am going to drink, uh, one of your favorite beers, a sour. Uh, it is the Huckleberry Pucker. Uh, it comes from Paradise Creek, uh, in Pullman, Washington. Um, (laughs) I don't have IBUs for it because, like, I'm really not expecting any. Um, but it uh, it clocks in at four point six percent, four point six percent, and a sour. Um, that's all you, Mr. Collins. Uh, I'm drinking uh, from Hop Valley, so I've been drinking a lot of Hop Valley lately. Um, it's the Stash Panda. Uh, it's a hazy IPA. Uh, it's it's one of my favorites that they've got out there. Um, the alcohol percentage on this, if I'm not mistaken, is Six and a half percent, and the IBUs are at fifty. Uh, it's a solid beer in my book. I, I always give this a good solid eight out of ten. Yeah, Hop Valley is a great brewery. Big fan. Um, this Huckleberry Pucker is like exactly what you would expect from a Huckleberry Pucker sour, which is not Ryan's cup of tea at all. Um, like this, to me, this is a great beer for like on a warm summer day, just having something that like changes it up a little bit. Um, and like, it's just a little bit different and unique. Um, it's, it's just kind of like a, have, have a little bit of a, a different taste. Absolutely. Uh, so I, I, in terms of like where this is on the scale, uh, to me, this is like a seven out of 10, uh, in terms of like overall and in terms of, uh, sours you know, kind of right in that same vein, I'd give this an eight out of 10 in, on like a sour scale. So if you like sours, check those out. Um, if you're normal, don't check it out. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I had to throw the job in there. <laughs> you're, you're fine. It's like the one thing that you and I vast like we very differentiate on that on that type of beer. So, all right, let's let's talk about everyone's favorite topic: permanent life insurance. Um, <laughs> great transition, Ryan. <laughs> I'm not sure that this is anyone's favorite type. There are a few no, specialists, it's really not. But like, yeah, nobody. Like, this is. It's a morbid topic, you know, but at the same time, it's one of those things where like people need to understand why we talk about life insurance and like where it fits in the overall conversation. Um, most of the time when we're talking about permanent insurance, um, this is a financial planning conversation as opposed to a protection conversation um, because you're, you, it's or it really like, correct. Cause like we, we should have already made the decision on the amount of insurance that we own. And then this is more of a conversation around like, okay, how do we want, like, what's the structure behind owning it? And that like, so if we've already decided that we are owning it, we're already having a death benefit. It like, this is a death benefit. Life insurance is a death benefit first product. Um, we had like, yeah, what, so it, it, that's the point and purpose. And then the decision of term versus some form of permanent really boils down to cash flow and what you're trying to accomplish with it. Yeah, it's I want to I want to 
restate what you and I kind of hinted at and I, I made my side comment on. When it comes to life insurance in general, I think you should be working. It should be part of the overall plan, right? This isn't, I think too often it's this like second, this like separated plan that has nothing to do with like the overall picture sometimes because they, you know, oftentimes it's done by maybe a salesperson that's just doing a quick needs analysis and trying to see, figure out, okay, what can, what's the minimum amount of life insurance this person could get by on and here's the minimum cost and it's a quick product sling rather than looking at it from the standpoint of look life insurance is a replacement of your income how much of your income do you want the dependence of that income to have like it's it's a much bigger conversation yes it is and it's not fun (laughs) correct like anytime we're contemplating not being here like people have a tendency of not wanting to have that conversation um i can promise you that like having the conversation is less painful than not having the conversation and like winding up being in a situation where your loved ones are now left out in the rain or like needed to have this conversation and now it's too late Um, or getting to a point where like, Hey, you just got diagnosed with like cancer or had a stroke or something of that nature. And now you're trying to have the conversation and finding out that you're unable to acquire life insurance at that point. Yeah, so let's let's talk about you know permanent life in, the the products here, Alex. Right. So you know we've recorded two past episodes talking about whole life and, and maybe a comparison asset to, to whole life type of insurance. Uh, today's episode we're going to talk about the other types of permanent life insurance and the first type of permanent life. Actually, let me back up. Permanent life insurance is a product that lasts your entire life. In it theory. is designed to last your entire life. Yes. Okay. One of those products, so getting into the first product here, Alex, is what what we would call a second-to-die life insurance policy. Yeah. So this structure, it does not pay out at the death of the first person. It's on two people's lives, and it pays out at the death of the second person. So like the by by its nature, it is going to be have a lower internal cost of insurance than insurance on any one particular person. This is not a replacement of income type structure. No. This is used almost exclusively for estate planning purposes. Um, and it has a very narrow and very focused and very specific use. Second to die is a type of insurance and like all of the other components, whether it is whole life or uh, any of the versions of UL that we're going to talk about can be applied to a second to die policy. We wanted to call it out first because it's a little bit different. And we wanted to like talk about the the basic use of it. Um, and so like Ryan, what, like how does this fit into an estate plan? Yeah. I mean, it, there's several ways, but I think the, the overall way is if you've got uh, a married couple, for instance, that wants to leave something behind and make it a little bit more tax efficient, they might utilize an asset to essentially fund the second to die life insurance policy and that life insurance proceeds or the beneficiaries of that life insurance now could get that money federally tax free depending on uh, a state, you know, the size of the state and whatnot. So that's oftentimes what it's used for is kind of like a gift gifting type of strategy for, uh, for older, older clients. I mean, this can be a way of getting assets outside of the estate, pairing this with 
work with an estate planning attorney where you're drawing up trusts. Trusts are a big like blanket topic. There are a bunch of different types of trusts. <clears throat> some are inside of your state, some are outside of your state. But the the basic concept behind this is we're trying to create liquidity and dollars that are known to be able to help figure out all of the issues that occur when someone passes away. Um, and that can range from like creating liquidity to uh, having the like creating dollars in the trust to then buy assets from the estate. If there are specific things that we want to go ahead and make sure that we preserve um, and, and you know, various different aspects, there are a host of different ways as to why we would use this type of a structure. Um, and one of the biggest advantages is it can help get a tremendous amount of value outside of the estate relatively quickly. Yep. Which takes us to the the second product here, and uh, it's called a universal life insurance policy. And we're going to talk about what they call a current assumption universal life policy first. Yeah, so universal life is a broad term. The, the basics of all universal life policies, and one of the biggest benefits is that the premiums are flexible. One of the biggest downsides is that the <laughs> premiums are flexible. And so, like, essentially, yeah, we- you've given people enough rope that oftentimes they wind up hanging themselves with that rope. Um, You need to make sure that you understand and review these products on a regular basis because the premiums are flexible and can change up or down depending upon the, the, like what happens in what happens in the, the world with the investment structure that's underlying it. What happens with the like longevity, the, the company itself, Whenever we're dealing with permanent insurance, we care a lot about the underlying company, way, way, way more so than we do with term. Yeah, and when we're looking at universal life, just a, a quick like overview of really every universal life policy out there is uh, you've got really two expenses inside of this policy. Um, you've got the cost of insurance expense, and the way that universal life insurance policies are designed is every year you're getting older, technically the cost of insurance is going up. But it's being offset either by cash value or right, the cash value is somehow paying that over time. The second piece is there's something called an expense ratio that the insurance company can control and they can actually change that expense ratio. And that's what Alex was talking about. When you're talking about like having a flexible premium, if any changes occur in this policy, that can affect whether or not this policy acts the way it was originally designed. And, and those variables aren't necessarily controlled by you. Correct. Oftentimes like we will run into people who like bought a policy back in like the late eighties or the early nineties and the interest rate assumptions in those were huge. And so people get fairly upset, understandably and justifiably. So that they're like, Hey, I paid the premiums that the insurance company told me to pay. And now you're telling me that the policy is on the verge of lapsing. Yep. The reason is that the underlying assumptions changed and changed very, very dramatically. And the, when you when they change, and again, that cost of insurance is still going up, it's got to get paid at some point. And that's why it becomes possibly lapsing, where you might say, the insurance company might come to you and say, hey, you owe $10,000 to keep this policy alive when you've been used to paying you know, $5,000, yeah. right? So um, that's a, that's an, that can be Ultimately, these aren't necessarily good or bad. Yeah. They just require a lot more management. And on an ongoing basis to make sure that they're doing what they're supposed to be doing. And, and they so, might require adjustments. 
So that's kind of the basic universal life structure. I, I mentioned current assumption, Alex. So let's talk about current assumption. How does that product work? Uh, sure. So current assumption is uh, like a an interest rate sensitive vehicle, um, and so like it's based on current assumptions that are being made. What type of interest rate is the insurance company going to credit? Uh, there's usually a floor somewhere in the neighborhood of like two to four percent. Um, although it varies product to product, company to company, when it was written, a whole host of different factors. Um, and as long as you have cash value in the policy sufficient to pay the current cost of insurance and the current fees, then the policy will continue to be. Um, and the design is that over time, the cash value grows. When the cash value grows, it then depends on what type of a death benefit you have, whether it is level or increasing. Increasing is a static death benefit amount, and it will increase by whatever your cash value growth is. A level death benefit means that you have a death benefit, for example, say a million dollars. And if you've got half a million dollars of cash value in there, you're actually paying cost of insurance on the difference, that half a million. Um, and so ultimately, the design of these things is to go ahead and build up enough cash value so that you're able to have a level premium and still have the cash value grow over time. Um, so for example, if you've got uh, half a million dollars sitting in uh, cash value and it's paying 1%, I'm picking 1% because that makes the math easy. It's $5,000 worth of growth. If your premium is $5,000, as long as your cost of insurance is under 10, you're still gonna have growth in the cash value. Yep. Um, and so like, you just need to make sure that we're monitoring that and we want, like, we care a lot about what happens over time with the underlying insurance company. What happens to the interest rate assumptions? What's happening with, um, like, how we're paying premiums and like what the death benefit is, and a bunch of other factors. So that's how the current assumption works. Let's let's transition to the second uh, secondary guarantee. Universal life. The secondary guarantee was like this was a really super popular policy back in like the. Um, mid 2000s. Um, the, the basic idea was that there was a guaranteed death benefit um, based on premiums paid. And, and so like a lot of people looked at this as like um, a way of having like an extended term or a term that you could dial in whatever the guarantee was. Most of the time with this type of a product, you're minimizing the cash value and you're looking to make premium payments just so that there is a uh, the minimum payments that are made to guarantee the death benefit. Um, these things are incredibly time can time important and time consistent. Um, you can void the guarantee on some of these contracts by putting too much money into it. So like you really need to be careful of the timing on this and make sure that you understand this particular contract. Um, these kind of fell out of favor because uh, the, the, the regulatory industry changed what the requirements were for reserve requirements and increased it dramatically, which ultimately increased the cost for the insurance companies to manage these policies. Um, and so like the, the cost of a secondary guarantee went up dramatically, um, which it, this product still exists. Um, you can still purchase it. Um, it's just more expensive than it used to be based on like the regulatory requirements to hold more, um, but uh, this is essentially like the least expense, like one of the least expensive forms of a permanent death benefit. Um, you just have to be super careful of the timing of the premiums. Which that takes us to variable universal life insurance. And this, this is um, 
was a popular product definitely in the I mean in the two thousands and to some degree it's still um, being used. I wouldn't say it's as popular. It's come down a little bit here, but variable universal life. The the word variable should tell you a little bit about this product because that means is the the asset the cash value will can be variable, right? And essentially that money sitting in that bucket is essentially invested in mutual funds or some sort of stock market type of uh, returns where it can go up and down. Full disclosure, they're not mutual funds. You can't buy these things on the open market. They work yeah. similarly to mutual funds. Sorry, it is a definitely. bundled product. Yeah. So have that effect. That, how does that affect this policy? Well, if, if, if the market's up, obviously you can get possibly a higher return in the cash value now, conversely, if the market's down, that brings it down. And so you're taking on that risk of the market inside of this policy. And so you have to be aware of that. If this is a, if you're wanting this to really be a, a life insurance only type of product where you want to make sure your family's guaranteed X amount of dollars, this product may not be exactly, or may not be the primary life insurance product you own um, for that. Yeah. The real benefit of this is it does, it, it, again, in typical up markets where like the market does well over a long period of time, this can be an incredibly good vehicle for keeping pace with inflation. Um, oftentimes it, like you wind up using a, a raising, uh, uh, an increasing death benefit. So you have a static death benefit amount plus the cash value growth. Um, and like you really want to make sure that this thing is funded above what the insurance companies call target or the recommended amount. Uh Um, The reason why is you want to try and build as much cash value as possible. And oftentimes you're funding these close to or just below uh, what they call the MEC limit or the the limit before a policy stops being a life insurance policy and starts being a modified endowment contract. It's getting into a little bit of the jargon of the industry, but ultimately there's a taxation change. Once you cross over a certain threshold of funding, it is very much product specific um, and contract specific. So it depends on like whether you are 25 or 45 when you got the policy, how much cash is in there, a bunch of other factors. What it does is it prevents you from throwing $900,000 in a million dollar policy and just using it as a tax haven. Um, So like there, there's ways to go ahead and do some of that stuff. um, But you really want to make sure that you're like coming close, you're funding it more than the recommended amount in order to make this policy work the way in which most folks really want it to want work. It to work. And, and that's that variable aspect, right? Keep in mind, you still have the cost of insurance and the expense, expense ratios. And if you're not putting more money into that and the market has a down year, it's a double whammy possibly to you. And that's why Alex is suggesting make sure you're, you're funding this a little bit more than what the target might suggest. And, and this type of a policy, 100% has to be monitored on an ongoing basis. You really need to make sure that you're reviewing it. Uh, um, our recommendation would be reviewing it annually, but making sure that you're keeping track of where the cash value is compared to where you expected it to be. Um, and then also taking a look at like, okay, wh- like what does this look like going forward based on um, the current assumptions of the insurance company? You probably want to look at it at like various different assumed rates of return, um, mm-hmm. things of that, like there's, there's a host of different things you need to do with this. Um, you might not need to do a deep dive on it every year, but you want to look at it every year and do a deep dive every three to five years. Or yep. if there's a, 
big change in like the market or like what's going on in the financial world. Which takes us to our last product, which is called a index universal life insurance policy. The short is IUL. So if you hear any of the jargon, that's what, what that's what's out there. And this is a popular product right now. And the reason it's popular is you get the um, the possibility of market based returns inside of the policy based on an index, typically, right? That's why they call it an index universal life policy. So depending, they're they're monitoring how the cash value is going to grow based on an index, for instance, like the S&P 500. Um, They have two components or three components really inside of this policy. Oftentimes you've got what they call the floor and they say the floor is 0%, meaning in their minds they are saying you can't lose money in this policy. Now that doesn't take into consideration expense ratios and and everything else that we've spoken into. But in terms of losing money in the market, like the variability aspect, the floor is zero. And they also have... Oftentimes, there's some policies that have a different floor than zero. They can change it. Yeah. Sorry. Thanks, Alex. Uh, They can change the floor and they can also change what they call the cap, meaning the cap might be 8%. So the market might pop at 12, but you only get credited 8, right? And they can change that at any given year. Like it used to be higher... They've since lowered it. Now, I think they're starting to raise it back again. But the fact is, the fact is, is this policy has those components built inside of it on top of everything else that we've been talking about inside of universal life policies. And there's a third component that they sometimes mess with as well called a uh, participation ratio. Yep. Um, and so like that, most of the time they start out at like 100%. Um, some are more than 100%. Some are less than 100%. Um, but this takes the the return that you're getting from the index and then multiplying it by that percentage. So if the market, if you are a 50% participation rate and the market's up 12, you're only getting 6% of that. Um, it's just a different like lever that the insurance company can can change internal to the policy. So when you're getting these things, it's important to understand, okay, how much can the insurance company change these things? What is their history of changing these things? And again, similar to a VUL, we like this is a product that is really designed not to be minimally funded, but to be maximally funded or funded significantly above the target or recommended amount of, of premium. Yeah. I want to be one thing. I want to make sure one thing's clear because I do hear this quite often. And people say, well, you can't lose money in this policy. And that's not, actually true depending on your definition of losing money because as we've already mentioned let's just say the market's down 10 percent. well the floor is zero ryan so i i don't lose money except for one piece remember there's the expense ratio and the cost of insurance so in that year your cash value is probably going down if you have any at all depending on what year it is and that kind of stuff there is going to be some amount of cost of insurance. And so your policy value will drop if you like, if the, the cost of insurance exceeds the premium dollars that you put into it um, from a standpoint of like, did you lose money? The investment did not lose money. Yeah. The overall policy may wind up losing money. And uh, if, if it's not tracking what you were expecting to be in there, because we're anticipating increases in cost of insurance over time and we're expecting there to be cash value growth. If the growth of the cash value doesn't get to a level that we expect, you can wind up in a very negative place 
where the cost of the insurance is significantly more than you expect because the amount at risk, the difference between the total death benefit and the cash value is bigger and your cost of insurance went up. So that like this is, I, I would suggest that these are almost, if not as risky as the variable product. Uh, you don't have quite the same upside, uh, but you also like have a significant amount of downside, even though the money can't go away. Uh, VUL is still, generally speaking, more risky because you can actually lose money on the in, uh, on the investment side. Uh, the biggest difference between VUL and IUL is with VUL, usually you, you control how the money is invested. With IUL, the insurance company controls those different levers that they can pull. Yeah, so a lot of times when we're talking about universal life insurance policy, it, it's really understanding what you can and cannot control, meaning like what you can control versus what the insurance company controls. And I think that if there's a big takeaway from this episode, I hope that's the big takeaway. Like, okay, if I do any type of universal life insurance policy out there, there's a piece that I can control and there's a piece that the insurance company controls. And you have to be aware of that. And these policies are normally not a set it and forget it type of structure. You really want to look at these policies at least annually and, and do a deep dive like every deep three dive or five how years. They work and don't base it off the original illustration of whatever person showed it to you because i mean that's with any life insurance policy to be fair like it's not going to be that because there's too many factors like dividends that we've spoken about in prior episodes as we've already talked market-based type of uh, insurance policies so it's interest it's rates on these Interest rates on the on the current assumption are guaranteed UL. Like all, all of this stuff needs to be monitored on an ongoing basis. So, um, like some of the like current assumption UL or secondary guarantee UL or whole life need to be monitored less. Yep, but they still need to be monitored. So don't absolutely. take that as like set it and forget it. It's absolutely monitor these things and understand what's going on. And like I think that the second biggest takeaway here, Ryan, is make sure that you're working with a top level insurance company when you use permanent insurance. Uh, we don't want to go with a low rated company. We, we, we strongly prefer using a mutual company because the mutual company is owned by the policyholders. There isn't that split conflict of interest between do I, like, from the insurance company standpoint, do I act on behalf of the shareholders or do I act on behalf of the policyholders in a mutual company? Those things are the same. Um, and that, that helps tear down potential conflicts of interest um, and helps align your goals as a policy owner with the insurance company's goals as a policy creator. So we know this episode was a longer episode, um, so, and I apologize about that. Uh, longer episode is life insurance. So, But we do want to make sure that you all understand how these policies operate, at least from a high level, so that you can choose what makes the most sense for you and your family if permanent life insurance does make sense. Because again, this is not a end all, this is not a everyone should have these type of products type of piece. And we figured that like instead of doing an episode on each one of these things, we'd combine it into a little bit of a longer episode so that you don't get bombarded with like five episodes on life insurance. Right. Or Ten episodes on life insurance. It's... Which takes us to the question of the day, Mr. Collins. The question today is if you've considered permanent life insurance why have you chosen to use it or why have you chosen not to use it? 
So head over to beerandmoney.net, and at the top of the page is a Contact Us page. Uh, we'd love to hear your thoughts on, on how you went through this. Um, it's always uh, – it's education for Alex and myself. As, as we work with clients, um, we love to hear what – what drives them, right? Like, how are they, how are they making these decisions? Hopefully it's based on some of our guidance. And I think it is, which is why we're, we're, we're pretty successful. Um, and our clients more importantly are successful, but I, I would love to hear your thoughts. So beardmoney.net, if you got any value out of this, that's also a great, uh, great website to, to send people to, because that's where everything's kind of uh, heading there. Look, we started this episode to help you hopefully learn a little bit more about money to make decisions that are best for you and your family, and ideally giving you time back and the freedom to spend it with your family rather than stress over money. As always, we hope this episode was valuable for you. And Mr. Collins. Cheers. This podcast is intended for general public use and for informational purposes only. By providing this content, Park Avenue Securities, LLC, is not undertaking to provide investment advice or a recommendation for any specific individual or situation or to otherwise act in a fiduciary capacity. Please contact a financial representative for guidance and information that is specific to your individual situation. Guardian, its subsidiaries, agents, and employees do not provide tax, legal, or accounting advice. Consult your tax, legal, or accounting professional regarding your individual situation. Permanent life insurance consists of two types, whole life and universal life. Whole life insurance is intended to provide death benefit protection for an individual's entire life. With payment of the required guaranteed premiums, you will receive a guaranteed death benefit and guaranteed cash values inside the policy. All guarantees in any life insurance product are based on the claims paying ability of the issuing insurance company. Dividends are not guaranteed and are declared annually by the issuing insurance company's board of directors. As with variable universal life, any loans or withdrawals reduce the policy's death benefits and cash values and affect the policy's dividend and guarantees. Permanent life insurance should be considered for its long-term value. Early cash value accumulation and early payment of dividends depend upon policy type and or policy design and cash value accumulation is offset by insurance and company expenses. Consult with your guardian representative and refer to your whole life insurance illustration for more information about your life insurance policy. An indexed universal life policy is not considered a security. Premium and death benefit types are flexible. Its crediting rate is based on the performance of a stock index with a cap rate, a floor, and a participation rate. This type of universal life policy may lapse due to low or negative performance of the stock index, inadequate funding, and increasing cost of insurance rates. A variable universal life policy is considered both life insurance and security and is sold with a prospectus. Premium and death benefit types are flexible. Performance of the account value is based on the performance of the underlying investment options provided in the policy. There is no guaranteed interest rate. This type of policy may lapse due to low or negative performance of the underlying investment options, inadequate funding, and increasing cost of insurance rates. 
See your policy prospectus for more information. Values and variable investment options will fluctuate daily and may be worth more or less than the original investment. Any individual soliciting these variable life insurance products must be a licensed life insurance agent and a registered representative of the broker-dealer. Variable products and their underlying investment options are not deposits or obligations of or guaranteed or endorsed by any bank or depository institution and are not insured by the Federal Deposit Insurance Corporation. Ryan and Alex are registered representatives and financial advisors of Park Avenue Securities, LLC, OSJ 200 Market Street, Suite 1850, Portland, Oregon, 97201, phone number 503-221-1226. Securities products and advisory services offered through Park Avenue Securities member FINRA, SIPC. Financial representatives of the Guardian Life Insurance Company of America, Guardian, New York, New York. Park Avenue Securities is a wholly owned subsidiary of Guardian. Quantified Financial Partners is not an affiliate or subsidiary of Park Avenue Securities or Guardian. Ryan Burklow AR Insurance License number 1531912. CA Insurance License number 0K24924. Alexander Collins AR Insurance License number 7264699. CA Insurance License number 0H24806. Pinpoint number 2023. 160278 expiration august 2025